My name is James Gleason, and I want to welcome you to the weekend teaching ministry of Sunrise Church here in Hillsboro, Oregon. Now, Sunrise is a church devoted to being a safe place to hear a life-changing message. And our vision is to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And so every weekend, we share a message of hope from God's Word, the Bible. Now, if you'd like to know more about discovering and growing in a relationship with the God who loves you, please take a moment to visit our website at www.isunrise.com. Now, from there, you can learn how to connect with the God who loves you. And you can learn how to grow with others along the journey of life. You can learn to develop a heart to serve the least, the last, and the lost. And finally, you can learn how to lead others to know Jesus Christ on this journey of disciples making disciples. And so now I invite you to follow along with our weekend message as you discover the heartbeat of God. I posted something on Facebook the uh, week ago or so, and it was about the beauty of words, of poetry. And, um, and it basically went along like this. Thank God for poetry, right? No, some of you men are like going, I don't even get it. That's okay, but you'll get this. Without poetry, I would look at my wife and say, your hair is like hair. <laughs> Isn't that cool? The guys are like going, now that makes sense, you know. Your eyes are like eyes. See, poetry is awesome, right? Now, I'm not like a poet. Okay, all right. I don't get all of it. I, you know, I don't read Byron. Okay, but that's okay. I, you know, I understand that there's a beauty of that. Because in the picture of poetry, we discover something. And, and the Psalms and the words in the Old Testament in particular are so beautiful and poetic. And, and when we as Westerners grow up, we are taught to think very abstractly. We think in concepts. We think in ideas. And that's great. And the Western world lives that way. We communicate that way. We teach our children that way. Our classes are that way. We're very much about instruction and outlines. And if you are in business, PowerPoint presentations, God forbid, another PowerPoint presentation, right? Or all of those things. We think that way. We think in the abstract. But the Easterners, those that were raised, particularly the Bible people, the people of the land of the Bible, people even today in the East, they are raised differently. They're not like us in the West. They're not raised to think abstractly as much as they're raised to think concretely. And they think in pictures and they think in stories. And so when we come to the Bible and it's full of pictures and stories, we're like, where are the bullet points? You know, I want one, two, three application steps. And it's not like that. It's a story. And through the story, God speaks and God reveals himself to us. But it can be really challenging for us because the Bible was written not just at least 2,000 years ago, New Testament plus the Old Testament beyond that, but in a different language, a different culture, a different group of people. And so we can read the Bible and kind of miss out on the beauty of it. We, we, we think in certain ways that are not necessarily the way the original readers of the Bible would think. In fact, let me put that to the test. So I want you to close your eyes and I want you to imagine these Western abstract ideas of God and tell, you know, just think about what comes to mind when I say this, God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. 
God is omnipotent. Okay, open up your eyes. I, I, don't, I don't know. What did, did you think of things? Did things come to mind? How about this one? Close your eyes another time, okay? All right. God is my rock. God is my fortress. God is my strong tower. God is my shield. The Lord is my shepherd. Now open your eyes. Could you feel that? See, the first one we thought. The second one we felt. And that's the beauty of poetry. That's the beauty of a metaphor. That's the beauty of the idea that transcends just the word itself. And over and over in the Bible, God speaks that way to us. The writers of the Bible speak that way to one another. We do that in our culture in some ways, but I think we miss out on the beauty of the metaphor. In fact, I was uh, on a motorcycle ride this week, a prayer ride with another pastor, and we were riding around and and praying for uh, churches and pastors and elders, and it was a great time. Well, uh, along the way, I'm, I'm listening in my headset to the Psalms. I start in the book of Psalms. I'm in Jeremiah already. That's how long my trip was. And um, I'm listening through the Psalms, and I'm just struck by the beauty of the metaphor of Scripture. And so one more time, close your eyes, and I want to read to you six verses out of a Psalm. And I don't want you to think about it. I want you to feel it. It's God's word. So listen to this as you close your eyes from Psalm 18. I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He's my shield, my power that saves me, and my place of safety. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise, and he saved me from my enemies. The ropes of death entangled me. The floods of destruction swept over me. The grave wrapped its ropes around me. Death laid a trap in my path. But in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to the Lord my God for help. And he heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached my, his ears. Now, open your eyes. Did you feel that? Now, see, I could have just said in a lot less words than the psalmist said, God is omnipresent, God is omniscient, God is omnipotent. Let's go on with it. But that wouldn't have communicated what the psalmist just told us. He was feeling like the cords of death had wrapped around him and were pulling him down. You feel those words. The beauty of psalm, the beauty of the the metaphor is all over the scripture. The power of metaphor is so important. And one of the darkest... Most dangerous metaphors is the idea in the Bible of the wilderness. Some translations call it desert, but it's actually wilderness. In fact, I uh, googled wilderness, and, and thanks be to Google, because look at this. That's, that's awesome. I want to go, all right? Let's just pitch a tent, take the RV or whatever you got, right? And let's go get, take the four, just go camping, go hiking. I mean, who doesn't want to go to the wilderness, right? I mean, look at those mountains, look at the stream, look at the bison. I mean, this is awesome. This is the Pacific Northwest. This is why we live here. Thank you, REI. Okay, right? <laughs> now, this is not the wilderness that the Bible writers would have understood, In fact, this is the wilderness of Moses. So when God led, 
Note that he led the people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. He, by his mighty arm, he led them out. He led them through this. This is the wilderness of Sinai. It's pretty desolate, right? Pretty barren. Anybody want to pitch a tent there for three weeks? Where would you find water? (laughs) Yeah, that's the story, right? Where would you find food? That's the story. But when the children of Israel were in the wilderness, God was in their midst. And he was all they needed. That's the wilderness experience of Moses. This one's the wilderness of David. This is in Israel proper, and it's part of the desert area where David fled from King Saul, who wanted nothing less than David dead, his head on a platter, right? And so David is in hiding with his men. He lives many years out here. This does not sound like fun. He's anointed king, but he doesn't get to live in the palace. This is his place, right? And, and, and we'd probably be like David going like, uh, I thought you made a promise. I thought that anointing thing was kind of weird and cool, but where is it showing up? He waited and waited and waited on God. And he wrote so many of the most beautiful words, the Psalms, from this place. Because that's where God showed up. This is the wilderness of Jesus. This is just over the crest of the hill of the Mount of Olives, uh, which is east of Jerusalem. And if just a few miles, literally 20, 30 minutes over the Garden of Gethsemane, and you are in the wilderness, guess what? The Holy Spirit led Jesus to this place for 40 days where he fasted and he was tempted by the devil. God led him there. Now, that's not a very fun place to live. I've stood here, I, I took this picture, and, and you look down, and there's a little ravine. Maybe there's some creek, and there's some Bedouins that live there. But you wouldn't go here for vacation, right? You might take a picture and leave and get, hop on the air-conditioned bus like I did, right? But God wants to speak to us in the wilderness experience. Because, brace yourself, we're all going to go through it. Or we have gone through it. Or maybe just perhaps... In this moment, some of you feel like you're in it. Uh, The wilderness is a beautifully desolate place. Um, I left on Wednesday morning. I hopped on my bike, and um, it it was raining and cold, like, you know, 62. And and I'm like, this is not fun. I had had my first shingle shot the day before, which I hadn't anticipated. I didn't, it's just all of a sudden there's a needle. I'm like, oh, what's that? That's your first shingle shot. Okay, great. I guess I'll take it. And, um, and I'm like, what are the repercussions? Well, you'll probably be sick for a couple days. I'm like, thank you. I'm hopping on a bike. Okay. So I've got this fever and then it's cold chills. And so I go back home, I get a sweatshirt and go back and I'm in the Willamette Valley, right? That is why we live here. Okay. And then I go up to sisters and I pass through that beautiful, beautiful area. This is the gorgeous area starting to get warmer. And then I get into Bend and I take the sweatshirt off because it's Bend. It's starting to get warm. And then I go to Heinz. Anybody been there? It's about the end of the world. The only things left is burns. Okay. All right. And, and, and it's hot, 96 and it's desert. The next uh, morning, my buddy Dave and I take off, and we ride down south to Alturas, California, and we're meeting with pastors along the way, and we're in the desert. We're literally in the desert of Oregon there, and you know what? There's a beauty in the desert of Oregon. But then we rise up as we get towards Lakeview, and all of a sudden, it starts turning green, and not just green, but multiple shades of green. I'm like, I like this too. <laughs> 
This is a lot more fun. There are lakes up here. There are animals up here. There are people up here. People know how to live in the green, right? You know, the reality of the Christian experience of our walk with Jesus is that there will be deserts, wilderness, and there will be a lot of green grass. And yet sometimes, maybe many times, we were not prepared for the wilderness. Nobody ever told us about the wilderness journey. Nobody ever said that, you know, God will, not might, but will lead you from a place of safety and abundance to a place where you have nothing. Because in that place you discover you need nothing but God himself. That's called the wilderness journey. We've been talking about contagious hope. And the first four messages were kind of all high and excited and everything. And I want to take a turn. Because I want us to understand that hope is not just when things are going well. We should have a contagious hope when life turns bad. And so this week we're going to talk about hope in the desert. Next week we're going to talk about hope in depression. And then the third week we're going to talk about hope in death. Okay, those are metaphorical words, by the way, okay? I'm going to lead you to death, okay? All right. But that is life. And if we can't have and discover hope in the darkest, the deepest, darkest parts of our life then we don't have true hope because you don't just have hope if you're on the mountaintop. If you have it in the valley, in the dark desert, that's when you have hope and you discover it and you appreciate it when you're up on the mountains. Where do you go when it feels like you're in a desert, you're in a wilderness? Well, for me, one of my go-to Psalms is 4243, probably written at the time as one Psalm. Uh, They just flow right together with one another. And I want to walk through that and I want to look at the metaphor of feeling like you've been abandoned by God. Now, it's dangerous things that I say today because if you've been raised in a church background where all you do is sing hallelujah and kumbaya, you're not going to like some of the things I say. In fact, you might even wonder if I'm still a Christian because I'm going to speak about God in some very honest terms that we don't dare utter in church normally. But it's the real. It's the practical It's the painful part of our Christian experience. And if we can get in it and walk in it and walk through it, we know God at a deeper level, far beyond any sugar candy coated Christian experience. So look at Psalm 42 with me and 43. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. Now, this is how the Psalms are written. There's a lot of um, rhyme and meter, not not in our English language. But what the psalmist will often do is make a statement and then back it up with another statement. So what he's saying is here, imagine a deer needing water, very thirsty, very dry. Other translations say panting for water. So like just dehydrated, okay? A deer is panting, longing for water. Like that deer that longs for water, the streams of water. So that's how I feel about you, God. I long for you. I'm dry. I'm thirsty. I'm needy. He says, oh God, I thirst for God, the living God. Where can I go and stand before him? Day and night I have only tears for food while my enemies continually taunt me saying, where is this God of yours? Now, here's what the psalmist, uh, one of the, the sons of Asaph, is writing about. What he's saying is, this is my spiritual condition right now. This is my soul. My soul is parched. If, if the psalmist, if the writer is the deer longing for water, guess what God is? He's the dried up stream. He used to flow 
it used to just be bountiful, but I'm not, I'm not able to drink from him anymore. I, I'm, all I've got is tears. This guy's got some true depression going on. I, I, I'm not eating. I'm crying at night. I'm weeping. I'm mourning. I'm in a place I shouldn't be, right? I thought you promised me goodness and mercy all the days of my life. I thought you promised that you'd be my shepherd with the green grass, right? God does promise that, but he also promises to take us through the dark valley of death, which is pretty scary. And so the psalmist is in a moment of honesty. Now, he's going to later tell us he's discouraged. Or other translations say downcast, like just thrown to the dirt. That's how he feels. And so if you've ever felt that, you're in good company. Because that's how people of God feel. And that's how people of the world feel too, right? But they relate it differently. We relate it that God is still our God. God is still our protector. God is still our savior. He's still the one that's going to carry us, but we don't feel him anymore. And one of the most dangerous things we can have as followers of Christ, mostly I would say younger followers of Christ, is in the moment we no longer feel like praying, we don't pray. The moment we no longer feel like singing, we don't sing. The moment we no longer feel like talking about God, we don't talk about God. Why? Because we're living on just the emotional aspect of it. But one of the greatest things you can do is do it even when you don't feel like it. Um, We're in a a reading group where we're reading through uh, screw tape letters at my house. And uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, the screw tape letters, the chapters, they're talking about the law of undulation. That's what C.S. Lewis calls it. Bottom line, all it is is the highs and the lows. And so the... um, the, the patient that this demon's working on in the screw tape letters is experiencing the low. He had experienced that salvation, the high, when everything was working great and he was high with God and everything was good. And the demon was like, how do I get this guy? How do I distract him? Now he's in the low, he's in the valley, he's in the desert, he's in the wilderness. And the older demon, screw tape writes, uh, and, and he, he says, you know, don't, 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 don't be unawares because in the low, That's where he can meet with God the deepest, the best. That can be where he has his best Christian experience when he no longer feels like a Christian. That's when he can draw closest to God, when he no longer even imagines God being close anymore. If you've ever walked through darkness, if you've ever walked through a time of seasonal darkness spiritually for your life, When you pray, when you worship, when you sing, when you testify, that is when you grow the most. And you come on on the other side and you're so much deeper and stronger in your walk with God. And this is what this guy is experiencing here. He's saying, I don't feel it anymore, but I'm going to cry out to God. In fact, look how he does it. He he, uh, goes on, he says, my heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. That's a good thing, how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. In other words, he was involved somehow in the worship of God in the temple of Jerusalem. He'll later talk about that, being back there. He longs to be there. He's not there. He's not in Jerusalem. He's not in the city of God. Later we'll see he's far north. He's way north. He's outside of the community of God. He used, in other words, he's like a pandemic hit and I had to stream church. Okay, sorry. Okay, if you're online still. Um, come back, okay? People are, even some people come back today. Here's the fact, is that I used to feel it. I used to feel, I'll say it this way, modern way, the energy of the worship of those around me. Did you feel that song, Bit of Foma Led? Man, that's beautiful. And not just that you sang it, but that we sang it. We experienced something together. 
And he says, I used to get that and now I don't get it because I'm separated. I'm separated. He goes on and he says this. He says, why am I discouraged? Or downcast or, or depressed? Why am I so shaken up? Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? And then he makes a declaration. I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior, my God. He says this three times through his words. He says, I, I, this is, by the way, do you ever talk to yourself? Raise your hand if you do. Everybody does, right? Okay. Well, here's a question. Do you ever answer yourself? Yeah. This guy answers himself. He's, he's, he's cool. He's totally tripping, right? He's like, he asks the question and then he answers. Why, why, why? I will put my hope in God. He speaks to himself. He preaches to himself. Now I'm deeply discouraged, but I will remember you even from distant Mount Hermon, which is this huge high mountain way up north Israel into Syria. That was probably the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus went and transfigured. But the fact is it's a high and holy place, okay? I will remember you even though I'm there, the source of the Jordan from the land of Mount Mazar. I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. Let's keep going here. But each day, the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. And through each night, I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. Notice this, friends. He doesn't feel God anymore. All he feels is the absence of God. I I used to, I used to, I used to, I used to, don't feel it anymore. It used to be so great. I used to have these wonderful mountaintop spiritual experiences. I don't. I'm discouraged, I'm downcast, I'm depressed. I'm not even in the place where I can recharge my spiritual batteries. And what does he do? He cries out to God. And he says, every day, I'm gonna pour out my love to the God who pours out his love to me. I'm gonna pour out my songs. I'm gonna pour out my prayers to the one who pours out his life to me. That is what happens when you're in the wilderness. If you don't give up. If you don't walk away, if you don't in despair, turn away from God. But if you discover in that midst of all of the pain and the brokenness, God shows up there. Let's keep going. He says, oh God, my rock. I cry, why have you forgotten me? I mean, he doesn't really think God has forgotten him. But guess what? He feels like God has forgotten him. Don't raise your hand because this would be way too dangerous. But have you ever felt like God has forgotten you? I have. I've, I've lived in dark seasons I felt like God has abandoned me and I've spoken to him about it and lightning did not hit me, okay? I hope, I hope, I hope in your Christian walk, you get to the point where you can just tell God exactly what you're feeling and thinking because he's a father. He's big enough to take it. He, he understands, he knows. Jesus walked this earth, friends. He says, why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones. They scoff. Where is this God of yours? And he comes, comes back to this refrain. Why am I discouraged? Why am I downcast? Why am I depressed? Why is my heart so sad? And then he says, here's what I'm going to do. This is the reality, but this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Let's keep going here. We go into the next uh, part of it, into Psalm 43. It says, declare me innocent, O God. Defend me against these ungodly people. Rescue me from these unjust liars. For you are God, my only safe haven. That sounds awesome. And then he goes back. Why have you tossed me aside? 
This guy's up and down. You know what we do today with people like that? We medicate them, okay? We level them out. It's like, no, highs and lows all come together, back and forth, almost schizophrenic, right? I mean, pick a side, right? He's like, I'm in the wilderness. This is the side. Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Send out your light and your truth. Let them guide me. And he goes on with this. He says, let them lead me to your holy mountain, to the place where you live. There I will go to the altar of God, to God, the source of all my joy. He's speaking about Jerusalem metaphorically. It's often talked about as Mount Zion, but the place of God. And so he's longing to go. God's going to lead him there, the source of all my joy. I will praise you with my harp, O God, my God. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior, my God. One of the most beautiful things about this psalm is by the end of the psalm, it doesn't get fixed. Um, You know, one of the things we like to do is we like to tell the stories where everything worked out. In fact, we kind of looked good, right? We might even have been the hero of the story. (laughs) And here, God alone is the hero of the story. Because when he gets to the end here, he's still in the same refrain, cycling over and over again with, what's wrong with my heart? Why is it discouraged? Why is it downcast? But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. In spite of everything I'm not feeling right now and not doing right now, I'm going to keep putting my hope in God. He is going to pull me through this. Those repeated words psalm up this man's despair and his helplessness. And over and over again, he says, my only answer is to put my hope in God. You know the story of the Israelites in the wilderness wandering God provided so much. He provided Moses, the man of God. He provided all the miracles that brought him out. I mean, I don't know about you, and I'm naive, but I'd say this. If I had walked through that Red Sea when the water is piled up on the side and the ground is dry, I don't think I would have ever doubted again, right? Yeah, well, okay. I think that way. (laughs) Okay. But you've had that happen, right? You've had God do things, part the waters, as it were, do the miraculous things in your life. And we're all like that. And we go, why haven't you given me water, God? And God springs forth water. And then we go on and we forget. And we forget. That's the story of the nation of Israel. God blessed them and blessed them and blessed them. And then they forgot. That's the story of us. God does all these things and then we forget. And we cry out, where are you, God? That's the reality of living in the wilderness. That's the reality of this season. Uh, Tim Keller wrote a great little devotional book. It's kind of daily through the Psalms. I encourage you to get it if you're looking for a daily reader. It's so good. He says this uh, in this section. He says, the psalmist made God his stronghold, a safe shelter. When we put our trust in the living God, we know that nothing can come into that stronghold without God's permission, limitation, and purpose. Now, note this. This is not the kind of, you know, fake prayer you hear by health, wealth, and prosperity kind of stuff. You come to God, you're going to get the Mercedes, you're going to get the BMW, you're, you're going to get everything you want. You're going to, God's going to be your God. He's going to shower riches. All you have to do is give me a hundred bucks, okay? All right. This is like, you know what? God is going to protect you, but that doesn't mean he's not going to cause you to walk through the dangerous territory. He is going to bring you into his fortress, but doesn't mean he's not also going to open the door to pains, and he's going to walk with you in and through that. And nothing will happen outside of the limitation of God. That is not a Christianity you hear much today. 
So if you find yourself in a situation like this, maybe you have found yourself, here are some encouragements that I'd like to say just right from the psalm. Number one, pour out your soul to God. I love it. He just pours out his soul to God. He just speaks to God. Now, some of you, you do that. You're really good with words and you just say it. Um, It's kind of dangerous. Maybe you need to go alone and shout out to God because people in your house might be worried, you know. Um, but do it and find a way. Some of you write. That's awesome. I either envy you or I don't. I don't know. I tried that. It just doesn't work for me. But you write it out and you just journal your thoughts out. Have you ever just journaled whatever honest feelings you feel and not worry about the lightning burning up the page, you know? God wants you to be honest. Just pour out your heart. Wherever you are today, whatever high or low, You're feeling, just say, God, I just don't feel it anymore. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like singing. I don't feel like showing up to church. I don't feel like hanging out with other believers. I just don't feel like it. Just pour that out to God. And then number two, be honest about your despair. This is the important thing. Share it with others. Communicate it with others because there are other people going through it. There's other people who have gone through it and they will be the best guides to walk you through the pain and the sorrow, right? The Bible tells us in the New Testament that God comforts us so we can comfort other people in their distress. God healed them and now he wants to use those to help you find healing. Pour out your heart to God. But it's a scary thing, right? I know it's a scary thing. Um, Years ago, I had an experience where I opened up my heart to someone. I was in my 20s. I was single. I was a youth pastor in Boise. And I just, I was in a moment. I just, I was just deep sadness and sorrow and struggles and all kinds of temptations and whatever. And I met with this guy, a dear friend, and I opened up my heart and I poured everything out to him. And he looked at me and said, boy, I have no idea what you're going through. And I closed everything up. And that was not the answer I wanted. (laughs) Um, John Powell back in the 70s, wrote a little book called Why Am I Afraid to Tell You Who I Am? And he says, why am I afraid to tell you who I am? Because if I tell you who I am, if I open myself up and you reject that, that's all I have. So I would rather shelter myself and never reveal the deepest, darkest part of me because that keeps me safe. But I'm telling you as a follower of Jesus, as a human being, that's not safe. That is not safe. What's safe is finding a community of grace where you can pour out your real self to them and be received, not rejected, because they're honest enough to pour out their heart to you. So find a way to pour out to God, pour out to others, and meditate on who God is and what he has done for you. Tell those stories. I don't know that we're good at that. When people come and visit Sunrise and other pastors come, I just start talking about and telling stories. We used to be here and then God did this. And then in six months, the people raised a million dollars and we were able to buy this and build this out. And then all these projects. And then this is how much this was. And God showed up. And then God reached out and saved these people. And this is what happened. And the city did this. And we experienced this in the county. And I just tell all the stories of God. I love to do that. When was the last time you just sat with someone and just said, I want to tell you the stories of God in my life. I just want to talk about God. This is what God did. This is, this is what happened in my life. Just recount over and over again what God has already done because that's who he is. He's a heavenly father. I wrote down a question as I was thinking about this. Have the events of the past year caused you to run to God for help and hope? Or if not, where have you 
chosen to run to for your help. In the midst of the bottom falling out, the pandemic, where did you run for your identity, for your safety, for your security? We saw a couple weeks ago that we've gone through a lot of storms this last year. And Jesus is the anchor, the hope that we have in that. Last week, we saw that we have a living hope. That because of the resurrection of Christ, we have a hope that the world doesn't know about. And we should be expressing that and exploding that out into our spheres of influence. So other people see the hope that we have. And then ask a question about the hope. Have you been able to remain hopeful in spite of suffering and discouragement of the last year? Was your result of the reaction of everything to panic or to pray? I think as much as we want to run away when we enter into the wilderness, we're never so much aware of his presence in our lives than when we're actually in that place. I wrote down some thoughts. We all struggle with feeling hopeless, right? Uh, Again, next week, I'm going to be honest and talk about some of the depression that I've experienced in my life. And there are moments of hopelessness, you know. I'll never forget one day calling my wife. I was in Portland, you know, which is probably half the reason I was hopeless. Um, (laughs) Sorry. I was on the east side, and I'm driving about ready to cross the river. And I call my wife, and I'm I'm just crying out to her. I go, babe... I feel right now either I need to turn the car and drive north I-5 and just keep driving or wait till I'm on the bridge and then turn right. I, that's how I feel right now. If that's where you're at, that's real, folks. That is a real issue in our lives. I don't know if you're there. I don't know if you've been in happy town the last year. If so, man, God bless you. I should be hanging out more with you, Okay. I don't know where you ran to, but if you're in the midst of hopelessness, whether it's because of discouragement or despair or disappointment or depression or you've lost someone to death, I don't know what it is. There is a Jesus. There's a God who knows exactly what you're going through, has walked through it with you and wants to do this in a way that will draw you close to his heart. My wife and I were were talking about this um, we, we took this class on the reading the Psalms geographically, and it was an online course from Jerusalem University College. And it was so good to talk about. One of the things that the professor showed is an aerial shot, a, like a topographical uh, satellite shot of Israel, the promised land, the place of milk and honey, right? And um, if you realize half of Israel, the promised land, is wilderness, that changes your perspective. It's kind of like half of Oregon is wilderness, or most of it. We live in the valley. We're wise people, right? But half of life is wilderness, friends. It's going to happen. It's where God shows up. One last thing. As I was on this prayer ride, I was listening to Psalms, and Psalm 78 uh, came through. And I love this psalm because the psalmist is writing, and he's writing about how God delivered his people over and over again. And yet they ended up in the wilderness And they doubted God's goodness. Over and over and over and over again, he revealed his goodness. But because they were in the wilderness, they said, we just don't trust him anymore. And if you find yourself in that place, I got some words for you because this is what they said in Psalm 78, 19. Then they spoke against God. They said, can God prepare a table in the wilderness? 
And I'm telling you, he can, my friends. He can prepare the best table in the wilderness. I'm not sure if it's got doilies on it and there's like a centerpiece or whatever, but there's the best food. There's the best drink. And you're in the presence of the best host of all. That is our God. In your wilderness and in the middle of it. If you're there, I can't tell you when you're going to get out, but I can guarantee you're going to get out. If you're feeling like the curtain of despair and hopelessness has come in front of you, I can't tell you when it will lift, but I will tell you it will lift. It will, my friends. Because when you draw close to him, he's all you have and you discover he's all you need. Because we have a Jesus that walked through a wilderness. He was led by the spirit of the wilderness to be tempted so we could know that God knows everything we're going through. That's how much God loves you. He was despised. He was rejected. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with the greatest grief. And he did all that. He walked a lonely path in the wilderness for you. He walked a lonely path to the Garden of Gethsemane where he sweat great drops of blood because he loved you. He walked up that hill of Calvary and went on to that cross because he loved you. And he still walks a path and he'll walk with you. That's just how much of the goodness of God that will pour out to you when you walk through the wilderness. Pray with me. Father, I just want to thank you for your love and just never ending. We don't always feel it. And we don't always experience it. But your word tells us and reminds us again and again that in the moment when we feel like you've abandoned us, when like Jesus on the cross, why have you forsaken me? You are there and you are present. Because of Christ, we now receive the Lord's table, communion, and we receive the bread, which represents your body broken for us on the cross, and the cup, which represents the blood poured out to cover our sin. And we say thank you, even if we're on the highest of heights, in the top of the mountain right now, or in the deepest, darkest valley of wilderness. We want to receive the elements saying, thank you for saving me and drawing me close to yourself. We pray in your name. Amen.